You can have a seat. Well, our series right now is Rise Above. Today's message is The Storm of Storms, and our text is found in 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Let me read through it for you. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout in the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Lord, thank you for these comforting words. And we are grateful we don't sorrow as those who have no hope when we face the ultimate storm. And we are just so very, very much in an attitude of rejoicing today, Lord, that we look forward with great expectation uh, to your return and to you, you making all things right. In Jesus' name, amen. The storm of storms. Well, I, I bike down by uh, Florida City and Homestead a couple times a week, and I came across over at the National Park this plaque, and they'll put it up here for you. And it, um, uh, it's from Hurricane Andrew. It's uh, commemorating that storm in 1992. And uh, what it says there is that uh, the eye of the hurricane passed over this point uh, in August 24th of 1992 with winds of 175 miles an hour. It's almost unimaginable, uh, the, the, the ferocity and, and the viciousness of that storm. And uh, it, it just devastated, as you know, Homestead and, and dozens of people and died and uh, hundreds of people were injured and billions of dollars in, in damage. It was a storm of storms. Um, not, the, not the largest storm ever, but one of the most, uh, in modern times, the most powerful storms as to the damage that it did. Uh, there are storms in our life, some large, uh, some small. Uh, some, some are threatening storms that really never really come to fruition. But we all, we all face storms in our life, and that, that's part of the principle behind this series, how to cope, how to deal with, with storms. Billy Graham said there's never been a time when so many storms have come together as is now in our lifetime. We face global recession, Islamic terrorism, plagues, uh, natural disasters, and that's just on and on it goes. And you, you know the, the catalog of, of storms that are, are facing our world today. But today I want to force on two, focus on two mega uh, monster storms that we, we will be facing. And one is um, your death, your personal death. And it's a topic that is considered socially awkward. Uh, we, don't, we don't often uh, speak so bluntly about death as I think we perhaps need to, since it is so very, very universal and inevitable. That's our first uh, word today in your text in, in Thessalonians 4.13. But I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, 
Now, Paul uses this phrase typically when his audience is ignorant. It's his nice way of saying, listen up, educate yourself. I've noticed there's a lack of knowledge about spiritual warfare. I realize you guys have come behind in, the, in spiritual gifts. And now he's saying, you need to understand the sequence of events on God's calendar. And that's what he's bringing to pass here, especially and particularly concerning death. There's a lot of misunderstanding. You've got to realize that the early church, when they, when they first Jesus, I mean, imagine on that, um, the Mount of Olives with G the buddies of Jesus hanging out there after, the, after the, the few days he'd been walking around Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, he just ascends on a cloud. It's like, and they says they're, they're, they're gazing up at the sky. And the Bible doesn't say how long they looked. It's like, are you coming back? Are you going to get something? And they're staring up at the clouds that he's gone. And finally, an angel has to say, hey, this same, why do you stare up at the heavens? This same Jesus who you saw ascend will come back in like manner. And from that day to this, we're waiting for the return. Now, the early church thought it would be immediate, like he'd be going to heaven, and I'll be right back. No. So th by the time we get to the book of Thessalonians, the other Testament letters, uh, the, the honeymoon, as we say, is over. And they're realizing this could go on a little longer than we anticipated. And so that's what we have here. So I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignoramuses in the Greek uh, concerning those who have fallen asleep, a biblical term for death. When you see that, just write in your Bible, dead, death. That, that's a synonym for that. Lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. Now, I, I, I didn't face much death before I became a Christian. I don't know how Christian, people outside of, of Christ cope with death. I do know I've done many, many funerals and gotten the impression people in the audience were not believers, and, and the looks on their faces are just are, are, is, is chilling. Many of them wear sunglasses, and many of them have, as I'm preaching the gospel, have just, if looks could kill, I would be a dead man, because they're just staring right through me. And then you, and they walk by the coffin, and you're standing there. Many of them just, don't, you don't even exist, because you're, you're breaking through their, their paradigm of the worldview. Um, there is great ignorance about death. We don't know quite what to say about death. So we're, you know, we, we say they, the person has passed away. Or we say, oh, they've expired like a, a, carton of, they, like a carton of milk. I'm sorry, that person has expired. He's no longer with us. And we say, oh, he, we hope that he rests in peace. You know? So we have this awkward language. We don't know how to act. Now, at the risk of offending you, I'm going to ask a, a serious question. How did you respond to the first time you saw a dead body? Now, I know that that's difficult because most likely it was a loved one or a very tra always a traumatic situation. I'll never forget my first, the first dead body I saw was my grandfather. And they, made, they had me climb literally as five years old into the coffin and kiss him goodbye. And it was a, tra it was a traumatic experience for a five-year-old. Where is he going? He's going to a better place. Well, he's in, he's in a very bad place right now. It's kind of cramped in there, don't you think? But we, we are somewhat ignorant about death, and that's the point. We talk in, at funerals, uh, we talk in hushed tones, which is odd. I mean, you're not going to wake, I mean, really. I mean, <laughs> we wear black and we're kind of awkward and, and don't know what to say. I, I don't want to make light of it because I know we've all been through painful, painful personal situations uh, with funerals and, and cemeteries and, and the like. But it points out our, our difficulty in coming to terms with this storm. 
And it's on the horizon for each one of us. We're, we're, our life is ticking towards it, regardless of our age. And so uh, we, we hear some fast facts about death. And, and we don't want to deal with amateurs. You know, you see people on CNN or there are books, whole, whole rows of books by, by death experts, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, or pe people who've studied death. Well, here's my question. Have you been, have you been dead? Well, no. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> You're an amateur. You know, you, I, I want to know somebody who's been there and come back. I don't want some. Well, here's what I think happens. No, no, no. This is way too serious of a topic for, for us to have, you know, some kind of semi-professional uh, death expert. And I want somebody who's been there and back, who understands it, who holds it in his hand. And that's Jesus. I, I, what, what do you think about death, Jesus? Because you, you've got the major opinion here. Um, so, first of all, death is not an option. Uh, the Bible says it is appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. Okay, so that, well, there you go. So that, that's pretty plain and pretty obvious. Uh, Matt Redmond said, and on that day when my strength is fading, the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending. 10,000 years and still forevermore. Now, th there's a balanced view of death. Our day, my day has come. My, my strength is fading. Uh, this, is, this is my day. And still, as Job said, blessed. Uh, I, I came, I, naked I came in the world. Naked I will go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That needs to be our attitude towards death, I think. There are different kinds of death. I didn't know this for a long time. I mean, we really sh honestly probably should have a class in schools called death. Here's, here's what you need to know about death. Well, first of all, we should, things we should know about life. Did you know there are three kinds of life? There's just one kind of life. Uh, the Greek, the, in the Greek language, there are three kinds of life. Uh, there's bios, there's a suhe, and there's zoe. And it's really, I would say, really kind of important that we understand that. You see, we think life is life. Now, so bios is just psycho, is biological life. We get our word biology from it. Uh, we, we share uh, that kind of life with the plant in the animal kingdom. They are alive in the same way we are. They have a, a finite amount of life. They, they, they have uh, systems that, that operate, and, and, and they, they, they have an existential kind of being. Okay, that's biological life, but then you come to Suhe, we get psychology from that, and that's what distinguishes us from the animal kingdom, because they don't, they don't have a psychological profile. They act instinctively and by learned behavior, uh, the Pavlovian theory. But mankind, on the other hand, has feelings, desires, affections, our heart, soul, the, the seat. We have psychological life. And that is, as I say, what draws the distinction between us and the animal kingdom. But then there's a third, a, kind, a higher kind of life, zoe in the Greek, and it's God life. It, it, it's eternal life. And that's what mankind is missing. That's why you can't really be satisfied with psychological life. No matter what you do to your soul, your body, your experiences, you're never quite satisfied. Because God has placed, the Bible says, eternity in our hearts. Vaguely, perhaps distantly, with a mist, but we know there's something more. And that's why when you go by Star Island and we took a little boat ride with some friends this week and go by the homes and go by the unbelievable, you know, houses with like 33,000 feet. I mean, you'd never even see your wife. I would just be like, who, who is that woman? I, don't, I haven't recognized her. It's just, it's, you know, who needs that? And this is one of multiple houses these people have. And every time I go by there, no one's ever home. 
It's like, well, I'll just move in there. And they'll never even, they'll never even know. They'll, they'll never find me. Zoe, eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. And the word life there is the Zoe. He's the one. He's the fountain. He's the river. That's where we go. That's the only place you're going to find that kind of life is going to satisfy you. You see? Uh, so there's three kinds of life, and there are three kinds of death. There's biological death. When I'm doing a funeral, I often say, look at these flowers. They had life. They appear to be alive now, but they are technically dead. They've been cut off from the source of life. And that brings us to a psychological death for, for, the, for mankind. The Bible says it's possible to be the person who lives in sin is what? Dead while they live. That's why you see people who, who are living a lifestyle that's self-destructive, and they have a look of death about them. They're, they're, they're desperate, and they're denying the ultimate reality, and they are, they are technically dead while they live. They have biological life, but their soul is perishing. You see, there's psychological life, there's biological life, but oh dear, the worst kind of life at all costs you want to avoid is the third kind of death. That's eternal death. That's permanent death for which there is no recourse. There is no recovery. There's no coming back, no second chance, no appeal. Once you've crossed that line, it's over. Okay? This is a temporary opportunity we have to accept that greater grace I spoke about. Three kinds of life, three kinds of death. We need to be informed. That's why Paul's telling us, I don't want you to be ignorant. Here's a brief history of death. The first word, it's always important studying a topic in the Bible, it's the law of first mentions. You go to the first time a topic is mentioned to really get God's initial uh, reason for it. And so uh, the first time death is mentioned is that God said to Adam and Eve, if, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Now Satan comes and says, well, if God has said you, you will not surely die. He, he, he uh, questioned it. Uh, all creation is groaning right now because of, of, of that, that domino. I'm biking down the road and you see roadkill. I think, man, that, that possum is groaning. He's, he's dead. And, and all of creation is having that, that kind of an experience right now. This is not God's intention. But uh, as a matter of fact, death can be a relief. Death can be a gift. If you've been around a severely uh, uh, a sick person, uh, death can actually be a gift from God. Did you know a day is coming on this earth when death will flee from man? And people will seek death and won't find it. When God, God even takes away the, the relief of death for a short period of time. It's going to be, we'll speak about that in just a moment uh, during the Great Tribulation. But then death um, has an end. Death and hell, the Bible says, were thrown into the lake of fire. God will do away with death. And there shall be no more curse, no more tears, no more death. Revelation 21.4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. This is where you cheer. Now, never mind, too late. <laughs> Neither sorrow nor crying. And there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Nevertheless, between now and then, death is a difficult storm. Uh, Jesus acknowledged this at the cemetery of his friend Lazarus in the shortest but a powerful scripture that simply says, Jesus wept. And I think he was looking down on death, seeing the cemetery, seeing the condition of people grieving, and, and realizing, of course, that this is not what God intended for mankind. 
but his love allowed it. He has a plan for our life, but he will allow you to choose to reject him, uh, to ignore him, to insist on your own selfish ways. And, and yet, and yet, and yet, death is so difficult. He's saying to you, do not die alone. Die with a savior. To, to die otherwise is, is a most awful fate indeed. Uh, death is difficult, it's also temporary. For the Christian, you'll not really experience death. It's good news. The Bible says, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 6, we are confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So in that moment, and the, Bible, the Bible calls it, listen, listen, the Bible calls it a twinkling of the eye, one-fifteenth of a second, you'll be translated. You, you're going to miss your own funeral. Well, there you go. I mean, the one time you get to go through red lights in the hearse, you're going to miss it. There you go. But it'll be worth it. You'll, you'll be at a much, much better party than Jell-O and whatever they have at the, uh, the wake. Death has also been defeated. Oh, I love this scripture. Come on, get this. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Uh, and kind of get this. I hear kind of Will Smith doing this. I'm not going to try to wrap it, mind you. But I can just kind of hear him go, oh, yeah, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, you know, where's your victory? Uh, it's just kind of what you got now, death. I can, I can see him going, going off on that. Because death, the Bible says, has reigned. It reigned. But it's a temporary reign. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 20:14. This is the second death. Because from one man's offense, death reigned through one man. Therefore, we've been given an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness to reign in our life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So uh, the, the question is, what will it be like for you one day after your death? This is what you call a really important question. And I'm going to really urge you not to leave this room until you can answer it. If you're listening uh, by radio or through other media, you too. What will your life be like the day after your death? Now, we can hardly imagine life without us. It's difficult to think. The world couldn't possibly go on without us. What will my friends do? Yeah, right. Yeah, right is right. So it's, 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 it's a crucial question. Will you experience the calm after the storm? Or will that be the worst moment of your life ever, and will it continue for eternity? It's a crucial question. It's a vital question, and you must answer it for your own good. The day after your death, really, there's only two important days left in your life. It's true. It's today and the day you die. That's all that really matters right now is today, whatever today is, and the day you die. Because, because that storm is coming. Those clouds are building. The thunder is rolling. The lightning is, is coming for you. Now, you may think, oh, man, I'm 20 years old. Look at this old guy over here. He's 50. I'm, I'm, I have a long time to go. Oh, really? What if he lives to be 80 and your, your time's up at 22? Well, who's old now? Nothing is promised. It's appointed to man. It's appointed to man who wants to die. You have that appointment, and God knows precisely when it is. Um, uh, what you believe about Jesus now will determine what you will be in eternity, because you're going to be a different creature, a different creature, either a glorious one or a grievous one. 
Deal with death today, today. Uh, you will have that chance before we close, by the way. And I hope there are some sweaty palms here. Because this is, this is an important question. Uh, prepare yourself to make a decision about your destiny today. Some 1,845 times in Scripture, the Bible references the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's multiple more times than he, the Bible talks about the first coming. There were some 300 and some prophecies about the first coming of Jesus. So it's, it's a major issue. Again, Billy Graham says, the Bible repeatedly tells us that someday Christ will return, not in weakness the way he came the first time, but with power and glory and with great authority. He'll come not as a suffering lamb. He'll come as a lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, we all know the Christmas story so very well because we get gifts. So we, we really got the whole Christmas story down pat. Uh, but it's important that we are not ignorant about the distinction between two major critical biblical events, uh, the taking of the church known as the rapture and the second coming of Christ. They are distinctly different. And you can't meld them together. One comes as a thief in the night, as we see here, and one comes when every eye will see it. One comes when Jesus meets us in the air for, for those in his church. And one is when he comes back to earth and puts his foot on the Mount of Olives and it, it cleaves in two. Two entirely different events and two entirely different timings. So they're very, they're very close together. So we need to understand that. The rapture means a seizing, a snatching away to meet the Lord in the air. That's our reference right here. That we'll meet the Lord in the air with, with the, our, the shout of the archangel. Uh, this is our second storm we're talking about today. The first was your death and how you're going to deal with that. The second is a huge storm forming right now in our world, World War III. Uh, in, in the second coming, Jesus comes with his saints, as Jude tells us, with his uh, thousands and thousands of his saints to end the reign of evil and begin a thousand-year millennial period. But the Lord himself, we see in verse 16 of chapter 4, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is not the second coming. He does not come to earth at this point. He comes back for his church, and I'm going to give you reasons today for the rapture because that's what God has given to us as a blessed hope that we, that we can uh, not be present for the great tribulation. Three reasons for the rapture uh, because the tribulation, which happens after, immediately after the rapture of the church, means the unveiling of two things the world has never seen. Now listen up. There are two, there's a collision of two things. There's a side of God that's going to be revealed that's never been seen before, his true attitude towards sin. And there's, there's going, going to be the unveiling of evil in a way you can't even imagine. It's a, a perfect storm. A collision of wrath and righteousness that makes the angels say, whoa, whoa, whoa. In the Greek, that's grief, grief, grief. Now get this. Th these are the very same angels that on that Judean uh, hilltop, the night before the birth of Jesus, said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to men. Jesus, the, the, the annunciation of Jesus and because mankind has generally rejected that good news, those angels are now saying grief, grief, grief to the world instead of glory to God and peace to all mankind. You don't want to be here for that. 
You don't have to be here for that. Here's some tribulation highlights for you. There's, there's an agony of environmental disasters. There's extreme phenomena. There's meteors plunging into the ocean and, and killing one-third of the sea life. Economic up upheaval leading to a cashless society and the mark of the beast. There's forced worship of the Antichrist. There's a focus on the return to Israel as they are crushed by their surrounding nations. Now, here are my three reasons briefly and quickly for the rapture. Number one, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, God, right here in your next, very, next chapter in our text, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, speaking to the church. And the tribulation is all about the wrath of God. It's the filling up of those bowls that every, every, every unjust is, is filling up that bowl. It's finally pouring it out on earth. And there's no point in pouring it out on his church because he already poured it out on Jesus and we've taken advantage of that grace and of that forgiveness. So there's no, no reason for the church to be here. There's also a practical reason, two practical reasons for the rapture. Uh, in Revelation 4.1, uh, there is a door opened in heaven, you see. Now, the first three chapters of Revelation, it's the church, the church, the church. In the authorized version, the church is mentioned 77 times in the New Testament. It's mentioned seven of those times in the first three chapters of Revelation. Church this, church that, per Pergamos, Ephesus, on and on it goes. And then guess what happens after chapter four, verse one? The church is never mentioned again in Revelation. Where could they have gone? Whatever became of that old church? And so, the, well, chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, I saw a door opened in heaven and then a great multitude worshiping God. Now, who could they be? Let, let me, where, it's obvious God evacuates the church. And so, um, the, the, you have to just face the fact the church is missing from the book of Revelation. Now, you can force it in, you can torture the text, and you can replace Israel, but the matter of fact, the word's not there. And God's just not random with his little words, okay? When he has the church seven times in three chapters, and it's never mentioned again, I'm kind of thinking, hmm, maybe the church is not there. And that's what I, I'm going to believe. But there's also another practical reason for us being evacuated. Uh, and, and there are also biblical types for this. When God does something major, he always, almost always gives a biblical type. There are many types of Christ, Joseph, for example. But with this particular, the, uh, the taking away of the church, you have the example of Noah. He was taken out. Uh, Lot, the angel said, came, we cannot judge Sodom and Gomorrah until we get you out. They could not. You see, and, and then you'll also have uh, the example of Rahab the harlot. They had to go in and get her and save her before they, God could judge Jericho. Those are miniature types of the rapture. But I think the thing that really, uh, really strikes me in addition to Revelation 4.1 when it says after these things, the word in the Greek is meta-tauta. After what things? After the church things. After these things, then I saw a great door in heaven opened. It's, it's a clear reference to the church being gone. So uh, the, the thing that really drives the point home for me, though, is 2 Thessalonians 2.7. 2 Thessalonians 2.7. For the secret, the mystery, the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But uh, the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. This is reference to the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He can't be taken completely out of the way. 
But where is the Holy Spirit expressing himself most visibly? Where is the Holy Spirit taking up residence in the world today? It's in the church. It's in our heart. So he's taken out of the way technically, not totally, when we are taken out of the way. And that allows the mystery of iniquity to have full reign. Now, something right now is holding back evil in this world, as bad as things are. What would North Korea do if they could? What would Iran do to Israel today if they could? What would ISIS do to the world if they could? What would the drug cartels do if they could? What would the mafia do if they, something holds it back? You see, it's the restraining force of good, and it's the Holy Spirit. But when the, when the, when the tribulation come and God, God said, comes and God says, you want evil? Here's evil. You're, choose, you're choosing the dark. You want to see darkness? You haven't seen darkness yet. You haven't seen evil unrestrained when I'm not holding it back. And you read the book of Revelation, chapter 6 and follow, and you go, wow, that's, what's going, that's precisely what's going to happen. And God's using it in concert with pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, and it is a collision of monumental proportions. So we need to realize that the, when, when the, the iniquity is allowed to go, whoa, you, again, once again, I'll only say, you don't want to be here. And you don't need to be here. Um, we're going to be changed in a twinkling of an eye. And um, I want to leave you in our few minutes together with some truth to go. Truth to go. First of all, this is a, a controversial topic in the church somewhat. But I want to, I want to draw your attention to uh, verse 18 of chapter 4. Look at it. It says, therefore what? Comfort one another with these words. It's repeated again in, in chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. He gave us his promise not to create controversy in the church, not to create conflict, not that we can have conferences to say, oh, I'm mid-trib, I'm post-trib, I'm post-hosty, whatever. Not, it, it's, it's for us to have comfort in the hope that we can, these, these, we can escape these things because of, of the goodness of God. So first of all, would you be comforted by this, by, by the promises we have here that Jesus is coming back for us and that he, uh, he, has, he has plans that are, are, are purely phenomenal? True. That's right. And secondly, secondly, there are, however, uh, storm warnings. Uh, Matthew 16, 2 and 3 is, is a clear um, uh, example of that. And Jesus said, you're a hypocrite if you don't see the signs. And so we see the signs today. Israel is a mega sign. Uh, radical Islam is a mega sign. Well, people don't realize in the news, and they're so uninformed, there are three kinds of Islam. Uh, there's fundamental Islam, the reformers, there's radical Islam, which are the rats, and then there's a revived uh, Islam. There are people coming to Christ all over the Islamic world. And, they, and you have to understand those three principles, and they talk generally and paint with a, with a broom, but that's the facts. Nonetheless, um, if Floridians know very well when you hear about a, or a, a tropical depression, which is an interesting word, a tropical depression forming off the coast of Africa. What do we start doing? Oh, we start tracking it, and then they name it, and then it picks up speed. We, we watch those things. It's amazing. You, know, you can watch, and they can give you different paths and, and the critical analysis of how the hurricane is going to come. The point being that we know pretty much what's going to happen now. That hasn't always been the case. In the 1800s, they had no idea. They might know a, a storm is coming. They had no clue it was a killer hurricane of class four dimensions, category four. Here's the point. Today, there's almost no excuse for being caught in a hurricane. 
And we have plenty of warning. Now, you don't know exactly. They do stall, and they, they, the Mitch bopped and weave out, and the, that happens. But we have a general idea. You, and so we, we have the opportunity to what? Prepare and get out of the way. There's really no excuse. Now, there's always the guys, you know, surfing, the, you know, 50-foot waves in North Carolina or something. And then there's always a the news guy, you know, getting blown away, Geraldo being a big hero out in the, uh, in the storm. And then, of course, the, the bars on Bourbon Street staying open when Katrina was headed in at full frontal vicious force. That's foolishness, you see. But the parallel truth is here. We have ample warning now of the coming of Christ. This is, this is not being done in the corner. That's why there are 1,500 Christian radio stations in America today. That's why Harvest America was the largest evangelical event in the history of mankind last year. That, that, that's why there are crusades. That's why there, every possible technology is being used for the gospel because the Bible says all things were created for his glory. The internet was not created for pornographers. It was created for the gospel, okay? And that, that, I, I know people who are, who are convinced we'll have every major language translated in a very few short years. That the Great Commission will be fulfilled in our lifetime. It's possible. The technology is moving so rapidly it makes my head spin. But these are signs. These are mega signs. And here, here we go. Just as we have no excuse for being caught in a hurricane, people have no excuse for missing the return of Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. Come, come to Christ today because we're, we're tracking Jesus the very same way we track hurricanes. Well, to move a little more quickly, there is a storm coming. There's a big storm coming. And you don't want to be putting up hurricane shutters when the winds are at 100 miles an hour. Today is the day to prepare. Today is the day to get ready for what's coming. And that's why God has warned us. He, he, he tells his friends what he is about to do. There are no excuses. The time for preparation is today. If you knew the Queen of England or Princess Kate or Prince Char Charles or Harry were coming to your home today, what would you be doing today? You wouldn't be here. You'd be home cleaning. May I say, you need to get ready for the king. There's a king coming to your life. The, the, the king is coming. Now, we, we, have a lot of, we have a lot of kings in our culture. Oh, uh, Michael Jackson was the king of pop, and Le LeBron was King James, and we have the king of this. I'll tell you what, there's one king. There's one king. He's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and he's coming for you. It's not going to be corporate. It's going to be personal. You have the opportunity to look him in the eye, and the Bible says his eyes are a flame of fire. And that, that day is coming. And, and that's why I say, uh, today in the day of your death, when you'll see him, the most important time in your life, get ready. 1 John 3, 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. They clean up their act. If they know the king is coming, huh, I'm going to be cleaning up my house now. We're going to do a little white glove test because I know the king is coming. And so that leaves us with this. Don't be left behind. It's the most awful, awful fate you can imagine. Hebrews 10.31, listen, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You don't want to deal with his wrath. You want to let Jesus insulate you from the wrath of God with the grace of God. You don't want to face it yourself. You, you can't face it. It's too, it's too horrific. It's too ferocious. 
It's too permanent and it's too powerful. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who fall asleep, lest you sorrow with others who have no hope. And if you don't have hope today, if you don't know where you're going the day after you die, that can all change in a moment. You can pivot your eternity right here and right now in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says. That's how great his grace is. That's how, how he loves you so dearly and he wants to, he wants to come sure, near you so surely. Just don't reject him. Don't insist on your own ways today. We're going to pray now and I'll give you the opportunity to make that change, to make that choice and to determine a new destiny and a future for yourself. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you. You do give greater grace. And I pray that people here and people listening and watching would take the opportunity to know you, to accept your forgiveness and not to insist on their own selfish path. That they would turn, repent, change and go down the narrow road that leads to eternal life. And if that's you, and if I can pray for you, lift your hand right now. Just lift your hand, and I'm going to pray for you wherever you're at in this room. God bless you in back and over there on the right. Let's all speak together. Lord, we believe you died for our sins. I know I am a sinner. Thank you, Jesus. I believe your blood forgives me. I accept your Holy Spirit into my heart. Fill me, Lord. Help me to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Believe in God our Father. Believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is those raising your hand today in your welcome packet we have this little card please take a moment and fill it out uh, we have a gift for you on your way out today there'll be folks out in the foyer and the um, on the way out and they'll have a, a raising their hand with this bible it's yours just uh, fill this card out it's glad to make it your gift get into god's word it'll change your life in ways you can't even imagine well, what a day folks that will be we're all what a day Let me leave you this final benediction. When he shall come with trumpet sounds, oh, may we then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. Amen. Come on, church, let's sing one more. Don't put those hands together. Let's go. Sing, be the crown, be the crown, 